Bibles open, and uh, we're going to just start with Isaiah 1. That seemed like the right place to start uh, in, this, in this study. Uh, but, but before we dig in, I'll tell you uh, that we, it is prayer, prayer card weekend. So we're making it easy for you this, this week. There's only one. All right? you, on your way out, you can pick up a prayer card. Uh, instead of a missionary this month, it is a country. It is the country of Egypt. And it's got all the major cities on there. There's scripture on the back for you to memorize. You can stick that on your fridge. But I'm just asking you to pray for the nation of Egypt for God to do an amazing revival there in the Middle East. Okay, so you can pick that card up. Those of you that are collecting those and praying for everybody, we thank you so much. All right, so I have a riddle, and you're blessed I have a prize. Whoever gets my riddle right... I have a free bag of dill pickle golden flake potato chips. Anybody ever had the dill pickle chips? Somebody likes them. I I was really shocked that uh, they didn't sell these and they donated cases of them to us to give away. I was really, really surprised me. So somebody's going to win this right now, okay? So you have to tell me what I did, all right? I'm going to tell you what I did. You raise your hand. This is like school. I single-handedly managed the successful upgrade and deployment of a new environmental illumination system with zero-cost overruns and no safety incidents. What did I do? Single-handedly, I managed the successful upgrade and deployment of a new environmental illumination system with zero-cost overruns and no safety incidents. Huh? Right there. I see a hand. I did not create the sun, although that's interesting. Yes? I changed a light bulb. Yes, I did. Yeah, don't eat those all in one place. Single-handedly managed the successful upgrade and deployment of a new illumination system. All right. See, you can put words to things and make things very complicated. And sometimes, that's what Christians do. Pastors are notorious for it. But honestly, what it does is make people go, oh, isn't that guy smart? If the guy's really smart, his job is to make the Bible understandable. Your job is to make it understandable for your friends and for your family. If we talk about things with words and in ways that they have no idea what we're talking about, why in the world would they want to be a part of that? Our job is to bring the cookies down to the bottom shelf. Listen, the message is really simple. Jesus is the Son of God. He took on flesh. He died for you. He died for me to pay the price of sins for the whole world. And everybody can have that gift. That's what they need to know, not some deep theological truths that you know. Now, I'm going to teach you some things about Isaiah, but the goal is not that we go away going, wow, isn't that amazing what Isaiah wrote? Isaiah wrote it so that people would understand about the Savior that was coming. He's writing it 700 years before Jesus comes. We're looking at it 2,000 years later, 2,700 years later from Isaiah's time. But it was written so that we could understand the simplicity of God's amazing love for us. So we're going to read bits and pieces. If you'll stand, we're gonna, you'll see the verses come up. We'll start at the beginning. Uh, but there's so much in Isaiah that we can't cover it all. So we'll just give it to you as we go. So the, ver- the vision that Isaiah sees concerning Judah, specifically Jerusalem, 
Isaiah is in the city of Jerusalem. He is sort of the um, leader of the, of the prophets. Isaiah is in the capital. He's got access to four kings, which we'll see here. Isaiah's ministry lasts for 60 years. So he's called early in life, and he's got a long shelf life, okay? And so Isaiah, who was the son of Amaz, saw during the reigns of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. So we know where he fits in history. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. God said, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owners manage, its owners, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel. And turn their backs on him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. There's no brains in your head. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed of bandages or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before your eyes, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Now we skip to verse 14. God says, now, as of your feast, your new moon festivals, your worship services, your appointed festivals, I hate them. I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of putting up with your services. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, let us settle the matter together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow, they shall be like wool. At the end of the chapter, Zion, Jerusalem, will be delivered with justice her repentant, penitent ones with righteousness. But rebels and sinners will both be broken and those who forsake the Lord will perish. Be seated. There's a lot there and I only read about half of the chapter. But the, the order of what Isaiah deals with is exactly the order in which we all have to deal with Jesus. Okay, He starts off by talking about rebellion. Then he says, we need to reason together. And then he said, you need to repent. There is the model for all of us. We come to God in, as rebels, non-believers, not accepting Jesus, not living for Jesus. We sit down with God's word. We reason with God. We leave that meeting. And when we leave the meeting with God, there's only one way you can turn. You repent. 
you change how you've been living. So let's start at the beginning, rebellion. He starts by saying, again, this is, this is the prophet, okay? I, I don't even, I mean, it's ridiculous to say, okay, this is Billy Graham. I mean, Isaiah so transcends what we're talking about here. Moses, uh, David, there's only a couple people in history that could fit into this role, but Isaiah is that big of a personality in Jerusalem. And he writes this massive tome to the people. And when he writes it, he starts off by saying this. All right, now think about this. You're all buckled in. You've got your popcorn. You've got your coffee. And you're ready to hear from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, you know, even the donkey's smart enough to know where his food comes from. But not my people. Wow. Think he's trying to get their attention? He blisters them right out of the gate. He said, look, even the animals are smart enough to know there's a God and they know who takes care of them and they know where their manger is and they know where the food is. He said, but my people, my people, he said, I've raised them. Now think about it. Where'd they come from? Well, they came from creation. They came out of Egypt. And here they are at this moment. And he said, the people that I've invested my entire, your entire life with, my people have chosen to rebel. The word is revolt. The word is to turn away from God. The word is one that we've all, as teenagers, we're familiar with it. You, somebody tells you a story, and what do you say? You, you ask the question, right? How old are they? Well, they're 13. They're 14. You're like, hmm. I remember those days where everything was rebellion. God said, literally, the phrase he uses is they've turned their backs on me. Which is very interesting because the word repentance means what? To turn back. So if you've turned your back on God, when you turn, you turn toward God. All right, there you go. All right, he said, but my people have rebelled. And you think, well, is this a big deal? Let me help you. In 1 Samuel, here's the verse on the screen. Samuel says that rebellion against God is the same sin as witchcraft. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, how does God look at witchcraft? Well, if you're involved in witchcraft, God's word says you are to be executed. Because it, there is, it, it, you're worshiping false gods, you're worshiping demons. Now, let me help you, all right? And I, I'm not, I don't have time to get into all this, but I would be remiss as your pastor if I didn't at least address it. The prayer that went on in the House of Representatives, all right? Here's the problem with it. Okay, we called, first of all, all gods the same, all right, to the monotheistic God. Well, there is a monotheistic God. That means one. There is one God. But he does not go by multiple names. He has one name. His name is Yahweh. And we know him as his son through, his name is Jesus, Yeshua. All right. He does not have multiple names. He is not Brahma, which is a fertility god of the Hindus. And one of my New York friends, you know, everybody's chiming in on this. One of my New York buddies just said it best. He just said, I wouldn't want to be you. Because God does not take his name. You, you just don't play with the name of God. That's just not something you do. And again, in the idea of being woke, in the idea of being inclusive, well, that's not what Christians were called to. We have, in fact, millions of Christians have died throughout history because we would not be inclusive. 
everybody is welcome to accept Jesus. But Jesus does not fit in. It's not syncretism. Oh, it's the God of trees. It's the God of horses. It's the God of the storm. No, 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 no. There is but one God. And the question is, what is his name? And who is that God? That's who they're in rebellion against. The people in Isaiah's time are religious to the core. How do I know that? What did God say? I am sick of your services. In fact, he said it stronger than that. What did he say? I hate it. God said, you make me sick every time you gather together. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? I hate it because they don't even know who he is. And they're not acting like they're believers. And then they're not committed to their God. They're going through some kind of emotion. And they're admitting that there's some gods out there. But to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is the statement of Christianity. And that will not blend with Islam or Hinduism or paganism or anything else that you want to tie it together with. Jesus stands alone. You can accept him or you can reject him, but you cannot blend him. And we live in a culture, and sadly, in the church. I'm going to tell you, the guy, I looked him up, the guy that prayed the prayer. I'm not, well, I guess I am, but I'm not going to call him names, but I'm just telling He's got a Master of Divinity, which means nothing to any of you, but it's a 90-credit-hour degree in the Bible, and you've got to write a massive thesis. He's got that behind him. And so for him to make that statement is terrifying. He said, my people have rebelled against me. When you and I try to make Jesus fit with everything else and just blend it all together, what does God say? He said, it makes me sick. I hate it because we have truly cut out the living God. You've cut out the true God. And they are in open rebellion to who the living God actually is. And I was reading about the, I'm sure we all have seen Rocky, one, two, eight, nine, whatever. Um, The thing is, if they did another one, you know, Rocky is like 97, I'd still be there. I would, you know, I'd go for the music. You know, I mean, I, I would just. I, I would be there. But Sylvester Stallone, you know, has always kind of thought of himself as the man's man, right? And uh, he decided in one of the movies, I guess he started believing his own clips, that he wanted to actually fight Rolf Dahlgren. And so they, they lasted eight seconds. Eight seconds, and Sylvester St- Stallone spent eight days in ICU. Look it up. Almost killed him. One punch. One punch. See, we have a tendency of thinking we're all that. I got all this knowledge. I've got all these thoughts in my head. I I am all that. But the truth is, when you stand before God, you ain't going to last long without Jesus. Because Jesus is the only name by which you can be saved. So here comes the, here's the meat of it. God says, so he... Right out of the gate. Even the donkey knows where his stall is, but not my people. Okay. Then he says, come, let us reason together. Let's sort this out. And even though your sins are as scarlet, we shall make them as white as snow. Let me tell you the story. This is not, it's partly biblical, so stick with me. All right. From the time Solomon built the temple in in 1000 B.C., until Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian comes to destroy Jerusalem. 
There's a 350-year window where Israel is practicing the sacrifices and the Day of Atonement, which is in Leviticus 16. Two things would happen. A bull would be sacrificed for the sins of the people, and then there was what was called a scapegoat. You all know this story? There's two goats that would be selected. One goat would be slaughtered for sin, and the other goat... Aaron, Moses' brother, the high priest, would lay his hand on the goat's head. And then they would take that goat out into the wilderness and release the goat into the wilderness. And that goat carried away all of your sins. Okay, that's Leviticus 16. Look it up. Now, the spot where they went, which I could take you to if you go with me to Israel, they took the scapegoat to the same spot every year. Just east of Jerusalem, there's a bunch of cliffs that drop off by the Jordan River, all right? It's the very spot where Satan took Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 because Jesus was our scapegoat. Jesus took our sins. He went out there into the desert. Remember, 40 days? He's out there battling Satan on our behalf in the exact spot. Okay, but here's what happened that's not in the Bible. When they would do the scapegoat thing, they would put a scarlet thread on the doors of the temple. All right, here's the temple. All right. So on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the high priest is doing these sacrifices. Now, go back and read Leviticus 16, but take off your church glasses. We're slaughtering a bull and we're slaughtering a goat. Do you see anything? Blood. Lots of blood. In fact, it said the blood's flowing everywhere. The high priest is to go in and he's sprinkling blood. Blood's going to be all over the high priest. They've got a ribbon tied on these doors. And the ribbon is red, representing the sins of the people. When the scapegoat would be released, the scapegoat would be released also with the scarlet thread. Out there in the wilderness... When the goat got far enough away, miraculously, the goat's collar would turn white. And at the same time, the collar on the door would turn white. Now, I spent a lot of time reading second century sources on this. This is not biblical. But it's funny because the rabbis say for 350 years, every single year, we put that scarlet rope on the door and every year it turned white for 350 years in 30 AD it stopped but here's what they say we want you to know it had nothing to do with Jesus that's the fascinating part they never deny the fact that it turned white every year until 30 AD until the real scapegoat came into the story But I want you to think a little deeper because not only does this goat carry the sins away for a year, but when Aaron lays his hands on that goat and he's confessing all the sins of the people onto the goat, what's on Aaron's hands? They're covered in blood. So the goat's covered in blood as he goes out into the wilderness. Are you seeing how God's putting all these pieces together for you? From the beginning of Leviticus, which goes back about... I don't know, 4,000 years to Isaiah 2,700 years ago to where we find ourselves today. Isaiah said, therefore, once more, 
Check this out. I will astound my people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligent of the intelligent will vanish. God said, I'll just keep showing you one amazing thing after the other. And hopefully somewhere along the line you'll go, wow, this Jesus must really have been who he claimed to be. He really did come and take away the sins. He was our scapegoat. He is our Savior. He took our place. He carried our sins away. Come and reason with me. And I'll do what? Isaiah is referring to that cord for the day of atonement. Isaiah is saying, even though your sins are like that cord that the goat's wearing, they will be made as white as snow. Everybody knows what Isaiah is saying. But then the, to chase that, what do you got to have? You got to have the repentance. All right. I always like to have a fun moment, right? Here's a fun one. All right. This is a picture of, um, well, that's a good one too. But let's go back to the dinosaurs. I'll get to that in a second. Notice that was cardinals and chiefs. Well done, Mike. Um, this was recently found. Uh, it looks like bones. That's because it is. Um, this is a T-Rex and a triceratops, those of you that are dinosaur fans. And they died in a fight. Think about that. How long does it take fossils to create? Millions of years, according to evolutionists. So apparently, this triceratops and the T-Rex got in a fight, stood still for like four million years waiting for the rock to form around them so they could die together. Or they were in the middle of a fight and there was a worldwide flood. It's funny watching evolution. They just found this like two months ago. It is hilarious watching evolutionists try to explain this one. What are you going to do with that? How do you explain? I mean, literally, we've got, we've got them biting each other. So we know they were frozen in time. God said, I will astound you with wonder after wonder. All right, let's go to the sports page. This is good. All right, I like sports. A lot of you like sports. Three and a half hours to watch a ball game. There's a lot of time to talk. Three, three and a half hours for a football game. You know how much action there is? I have the real numbers here in front of me. If you're watching an NFL football game, there's three minutes and 12 seconds of action. That's the beauty of those uh, recordings that we have now. Mm -hmm. Major League Baseball, no matter how long the game lasts, three minutes, five seconds of actual action that takes place. You know what's tragic? As I read that story, all I could think about was the church. I know so many people that go to church or say they're Christians, but there ain't much action. It's like here's 80 years of life and I got three minutes of action got three minutes of giving. i got three minutes of serving. And somehow we're like impressed with ourselves because of that. When the truth is we're supposed to give our whole lives to what we're talking about. This is not just something we plug in for an hour at a time or two hours at a time. This is supposed to be who we are and what we live for. That's the word repentance to turn. See, we've all rebelled against God. Jesus died for that rebellion. God said, let's talk about it because I can tell you how to get out of it. And if you respond properly, the only response is to repent and say, God, I was wrong. 
and you are right. That's the message of Jesus right there. And anybody can find that salvation. It's available for every single one of us. When we get finished, over here there's a decision sign. You come down, there'll be counselors there to pray with you, to answer questions. What the heck was he talking about for 30 minutes? Uh, They'll be happy to help you. But the core of it is that God said, I am coming to take away your sins, your shame, your guilt, the evil that you've done. Everything can be washed away with one one move by you accepting Jesus. We started with a baptism. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Before this weekend's over, we'll have had six, at least six baptisms so far this year. But you know what's even cooler than that? Six different people have led them to Jesus, and there'll be six different people doing the baptisms. That's what we're called to do. We're all called to that, to help people understand that they can turn and find this salvation, and you can bring that same message of hope to other people. In Acts 3.19, here's, here's what Luke wrote. He said, repent then and turn to God. Repent it means to turn. But you can turn and not turn to God. Luke said, repent and turn to God and you will find forgiveness for your souls. I want to finish with this story. The, uh, the ship, I think it was a, a Confederate ship, if I'm not mistaken, was sunk like a lot of other ships full of gold. And it was recently found, well, five years ago, a guy found that ship. It's a fascinating story. A group of investors paid the guy $12 million to find it. Well, he found it, but he won't tell them where it is. <laughs> they put him in jail. He was hoping, because normally when you go to jail for something like this, it's a five-month deal, and he'd get out and go get the treasure for himself. But the judge said, no. You don't talk, you don't get out. He's now done five years. Here's his picture. Five years. He's furious at the judge. And the judge says, you know what? He said, the only one that has the key to your cell is you. All you have to do is tell the truth and the door will swing open. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? It's done. He paid the price. If you're in prison today, if you're dealing with your own sin, your own guilt, your own shame, it's something that you can do something about because Jesus already died for you. He already opened the door. You just have to, you can, well, you can argue with the judge and the judge will leave you right where you are. Or you can say, you know what? I will accept what Jesus has done. Acts 2.38 said, well, what do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, that your sins will be forgiven and that you will receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Every one of you, every one of you, that's the message.